Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Fry Show, all about movies, and today my guest is author Frank Miller, and we're going to be talking about this very fun game that he created called The Ultimate Movie Trivia Challenge. This is it for those of uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube, yes, and it is a really fun, fun game for everybody who loves movies. So I highly recommend getting this just if you love playing movies. So welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to have you. You have written a lot of books uh, on, on the film industry, and we'll get into that a little bit. But before we do, because we're going to, I want to talk about this game, and then uh, we're going to play a little bit. So that'll be fun for us uh, to see, well, you know the answers, I don't, but let's, <laughs> we'll have some fun with it. How did this game come about? Well, I've been writing for Turner for a long time. I worked with them for almost 10 years and then left to write my first movie book, Casablanca, as time goes by. And they kept hiring me to do freelance writing at various ways. And TCM has been a godsend because I'm a big time movie buff. Me too. Love Turner um, Classic Movies. Yes, it's great network. I record stuff off it all the time. Yes. And I've been writing, I've written trivia for them in the past and they suddenly came to me with this offer and I just thought it was too much fun to turn down. <laughs> so how long did it take you and did you come up with all the questions? First, first, did you come up with all the questions and how long did it take you to write it? The questions are all mine. It was, well, it was spaced out over several months because I was doing other jobs at the same time and also you do, like I think I did 25 and sent them to them to get their feedback and all that so that I know what direction to go in and then I was just doing them in batches as I went along. That's not a very long time. There's over 400 questions in this game. And just again, we've talked about Turner, just so everybody knows, Turner Classic Movies is the publisher of this game. So it has a lot to do with old, nostalgic, wonderful movies. But current, there are some, you know, more recent films in this too. uh, My my limit was supposed to be 1990. And I had one question that went into the 90s that was just too good not to put in. But that's the most recent it gets. Everything else is from the dawn of films until about 1990. What was the question that you had to put in from past 1990 that you said it was too good a question. What was that um, question? If I tell you it, it answers the question. Oh, the answer- there's 400 questions of this. <laughs> okay. Go it's, ahead. It's who is the, well, right now only, but I don't remember if you said only or first, who is the only person to win an acting Oscar and then win an Oscar for writing? Kenneth Branagh now, but <laughs> no, oh, he didn't. No, he did not win an Oscar for acting. No, he is not. First Oscar. It, yeah, that was his first Oscar. You know, we think because he's been nominated and he's so brilliant that he probably yeah. had won one before, but that is incorrect. Okay, the only oh, and this is 1990s. Yeah, this gets into the 90s. It gets into the 90s. And I'll tell you, you were very close. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. Asking the question and then giving hints. Okay, so so this happened in the 1990s, and it was somebody who won for acting and then one for writing. Uh, you know what? I'm stumped. Emma Thompson. Oh, his wife. <laughs> former yeah, wife. His point. former wife. Best actress for, why did I just blank? Howard's End. And uh, then best adapted screenplay for Sense, Sense and Sensibility. That's right. That's right. And uh, nobody's ever pulled that off before. Great question. Well, maybe her former husband will pull it off with an acting award down the road. You and, never can tell. And it would just be the opposite. Yeah, I got the <laughs> opportunity to interview him on the red carpet at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival a couple weeks ago. And what a gracious, 
gracious man. I mean, really, he was very generous with his time, answering the questions and with the fans. That says a whole lot about people. He was not in a rush. He didn't, you know, rush any of us. He he was great. He was really, really great. And he was great on stage when he was interviewed. So, yeah, it, it was lovely meeting him. And I hope, I know he'll be doing better, bigger things as that time goes on. So, what, for you, what was the hardest part of this? Because you have different categories. You want to tell the audience what the different categories are? Oh, sure. Um, are they on the box? No, I can do it. Great <laughs> film, leading men, leading ladies, directors, supporting players, behind the scenes, cult movies, and quotes. And how did you come up with the different categories? Well, that was that was collaborative with the people at the publishing house. Um, you know, we could have gone in a lot of different directions, and I did suggest that we start out with people's production roles, so that director, leading man, leading lady, supporting all were no-brainers. And I wanted to do behind the scenes, because we don't always give those people the credit they deserve. And, um, and then I pushed for cult movies, because I love cult movies. The weirder, the better. Interesting. And, you know, going back to what you just said, yes, the the people behind the scenes don't get the credit. And we just saw that again at this past Oscars, unfortunately. Yeah, they they cut eight performances to save time and didn't save time and filled in with stuff that was kind of bad. I know. I know. Well, we we won't dissect the Oscars because I think it's... we've got this about. Yeah, it's been dissected a lot anyhow, but I agree with you. That's why I love what I do, because I have had a lot of the behind the scenes uh, people on my show. Um, lots of cinematographers, composers, um, editors, makeup artists, costumers. Um, so that's why I love what I do, because everything's about movies, period, all of it. You know, So uh, that's why I enjoy this um the show and what I do because I learn a lot too as we go forward. All right, let's play the game. You already asked me one question that's going to be stumped me. Let me ask you one. I'll just pick out one since you know all the answers. I don't even know what. Okay. Well, I knew them when I wrote them. You knew them when you wrote them. Okay. So this is what cinematographer was Greta Garbo's first choice for all her U.S. films? Oh, that's William Daniels. Yes. Tell us about him. William Daniels was a longtime cinematographer at MGM. I think he did her first. If he didn't do her first film, he did. I know he did Flesh and the Devil, which was the film that really put her over big. After that, the only two films she did without him lost money. Wow. Wow. In fact, the second one she did without him was uh, Two-Faced Woman, which ended her career. And she was such a, I mean, she was stunningly beautiful. So that's. Yeah, there was no bad way to photograph her, they said. No, 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 no. That's interesting. Interesting. All right, I'm going to ask you another question here. What trend-setting backstage musical was originally envisioned as a comedy starring Loretta Young and Kay Francis? That was 42nd Street. Yes. So tell us about that. Well, 42nd Street came along at a time when musicals were box office poison. They would the, the earliest years of talking films, there were so many musicals that were just point the camera at somebody and let them sing or do a long shot of the dancers clogging away that audiences stopped going to them and movie theaters would even put signs out saying not a musical. And originally this was good. 42nd Street was from a novel, which was much racier than what ended up in the movie. I've got to tell you, but it was from a novel. And originally, because the story was so strong, they were just going to do it is a straight film with the musical numbers in the background and somewhere along the line and now I don't remember the details here but someone got the idea no let's focus on the musical numbers and then of course 
somebody had the brilliant idea to bring in Busby Berkeley. And he staged the numbers in ways that people had rarely seen before. He had actually done similar work on some earlier films, but this was the one that put him over the top and made stars of Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell, made them into a big uh, 1930s movie team. And audiences kept coming back. They were doing so well, they started planning the next film while this was still in production. Amazing, amazing. And look at the longevity of 42nd Street. Yeah, I mean, come on, two Broadway runs. I know. Oh, and they'll probably bring it back again. You know, it's just that. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, this is great because I love asking you the questions and you can give us the background of question and the answer. What controversial Mel Brooks comedy was only released after Peter Sellers, who wasn't even in it, interceded with the studio head? That was the producers. People looked at the producers and thought, this is just terrible taste. I think it was Josephine Levine of AFCO Embassy had it and was going to bury it because he said, nobody's going to want to see this film. I mean, my God, they're making, they're doing music numbers about Hitler. And Peter Sellers had seen the film in Rough Cut and was going around talking it up all over Hollywood and went ahead and said, this is a great movie. The funny thing is, it really didn't take off until after its initial run. They won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, but it really took off when they started reviving it in college towns and the kids were flocking to it because it was so different from what other movies were doing and so outrageous. And of course, they got the joke of springtime for Hitler. (laughs) And again, another great movie, a really great movie. I love the background of everything that you're saying about these films because who knew, right? I mean, you know, unless you're really a big movie buff, you wouldn't know all of these things. So what midnight movie favorite includes the characters Beautiful Girl, Across the Hall, Lady the Radiator, and Man in the Planet? Oh, that's Eraserhead by David Lynch. That was the film that started, that first got people to recognize him after he'd done some shorts while he was in art school. Interesting, interesting. And Yeah, it's another midnight movie takeoff. There was no market for that film commercially in standard release, but people showing it at midnight, it, people discovered it and flocked to it and loved the fact that it was so different. So, have you always been a, a movie history buff? My first big memory of the movies was an aunt took me to the movies in downtown Philadelphia when I was a kid, and it was one of the last theatrical reissues of Wizard of Oz. And it was just, when she opens the door and goes from the black and white farmhouse into the color, technicolor land of Oz, I was just carried away. It was everything. And then I wanted to know more and and I would see things on TV because back in those days the local stations carried a lot of older movies and the MGM films and early Paramount and all that had been released to local TV stations and I wanted to know more about it and I keep joking I got through puberty by learning about the movies (laughs) you know other kids played sports I went to the library and read all the books on old movies and then when I had the money I bought them and that launched your career did you do something in between I mean what was your career path yeah um, my, my degrees are all in theater and i'm a theater educator i i until i retired i was uh was it senior lecturer in theater at georgia state university in atlanta Mm -hmm. and um I always brought what I knew about films into the class, but I thought it was important to keep the distinction for the students. A lot of people want to turn theater classes into just film prep, and I don't think that's right because the theater is a wonderful art form in and of itself. And the truth is, everything they do in the movies was invented for the stage. The theater was the first place to have 3D, and you don't even need glasses. And everything else, close-ups, montage, tracking shots, that's all part of standard theater technique. And a lot of special effects were done on stage long before the movies came along. Anyway, that's Mm -hmm. neither here nor there. I always used to love doing that because the film people, it's some, every university, there's like a battle between film and theater and theater was losing where I was teaching. So I was always happy to go in and say, well, you know, that thing you all went crazy about in your film course, it started out as a theater theory. So they dovetail, but I kept doing that. And of course I had worked at Turner and 
again, done a lot of freelance writing, so I had to do more research. And then the books came along and more still. And that's all right, because I love doing that. I love looking up stuff about old movies. And I watch a movie and I want to know about everybody who's in it. Yes. Yeah. I want to go back and do the background. You you wrote a, a, a book that I, I have. Um, Hollywood Is it Hollywood Uncensored? Is that the... Censored Hollywood. Oh, I'm glad you have that. Censored Hollywood. Censored Hollywood, yes, yes. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, we're going to talk more about the game, but um, talk about that. That was my idea. I had done Casablanca for them, and it's funny. I proposed doing an anniversary book on Ben-Hur, and they said they didn't think there was a market for that. So then I came back with, how about a film on the history of censorship? And Woolsey Ackerman, who lives in L.A., who was their photo researcher, went to bat for me and said, you know, we've got all these files of photos that were cut out of movies and blah, blah, blah. And we do a great thing. And of course, they wound up with a book that was all words with a few pictures, and that's fine. And I just had a ball researching it. I got to do a month at the Academy Library, mm. going through the um, the MP, the Motion Picture Association of America files, which is all the information on the production code, which governed the way movies were made until the 60s when it was replaced by the rating system. And that was exciting because you're sitting there, you open a file, and you realize that you're handling a memo that was signed by David O. Selznick. You're seeing the original, in, in some cases, you see the original script for a movie with Barbara Stanwyck. Wow. And all this. And you're tracing the way things were made, which is utterly fascinating. It's a great history. I mean, censorship is... Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's maddening. I was just reading about how um, there was a film that was threatened with the next rating because eight people were killed and they cut one person and got it down to an R. And it's like, oh, <laughs> Really? That's the limit. Yeah, if you're under 17, you cannot see eight people get uh, killed, but you can see seven. You can see seven. <laughs> yeah. Go figure, right? Yeah, and I always loved, never mind, I can't remember that line now. But I mean, I love looking at it and seeing the lines that were in there, seeing the way that deals were made, the way that the way that David O. Selznick bargained to get certain things into Gone with the Wind that they wanted to cut because they wanted to cut almost everything. The way that every, everyone went, my favorite line from All About Eve, everyone, but everything but the blood hunts happened at our rear end. And the way that got into the movie, because rear end, that's verboten. But they had put in another line that was questionable that probably they didn't want. I mean, Bay West did that all the time. She would write lines that she knew they would cut so that she could say, okay, I'll cut that, but let me keep this. Mm. So that you could keep the lines that she really wanted. You know, it's interesting because when you watch older movies before they started censoring them, they were pretty risque. I mean, you, we think, you know, our, whatever generation we might all be in that we kind of created, you know, the sexuality and sensuality and things like that. But back in the day, I mean, they were very, very, very risque. I mean, it was interesting when you watch the movies from the 20s and the 30s and what they got away with. There's an old John Wayne movie where he's a football player and the camera does not cut away from the locker room. You get to see an awful lot of rear ends. You know, there's one where Clara Bell goes to a gay nightclub in Greenwich Village and two men come out in suits but wearing aprons and frilly hats and carrying feather dusters and sing a song about how much fun it is to be a maid. And all that, yeah, all this, eventually what happened was you had, it wasn't just Mae West, it was the serious films like Babyface. What a great movie. Barbara Stanwyck is a woman who sleeping her way to the top of a banking empire and it was so heavily it was banned in new york and they had to reshoot the ending of the movie after the two stars weren't available so that some other characters come in and say oh well they reformed and they had a happy life afterwards and then you have a shot through a window of two people embracing that are supposed to be barbara stanwick and george brandt but it's not them because they weren't there wow 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 do we have the original somewhere I think somebody did find it, and I've yet to be able to see it. I think it's shown at the TCM Film Festival. Interesting. That's very interesting. Oh, you were a wealth of wonderful information, Frank. I love it. 
say I never shut up. I know. I'm glad. Hey, <laughs> this is it makes my job easy uh, well, for sure. For sure. Um, what what was the most surprising for you when you were writing that book? What, the censorship book? Yes, yes. Um, there was a book I found. I, I did it uh, along with going to the Academy Library. I started haunting the bookstores in L.A. because the Academy Library was open four days a week. And I'd be up there for all this time. And I found the memoirs of Jack Bizarre, who was the um, sort of second in command or third in command at the production code for decades. And he goes into his personal history of the code. Um, and talks about um, it, it's what, what's interesting to me is things like um, when Tea and Sympathy was about to be filmed um, Joe Breen who was head of the production code and um, Martin Quigley prominent Catholic churchman who published the Motion Picture Daily and helped write the production code um sent letters back and forth about the studios are come for this. I wish they wouldn't. It's a beautiful play and they'll never be able to film it the way it was written. And it was interesting to realize that these men whose life's work was cutting stuff out of movies actually thought there was material that they were going to have to cut that they wished they didn't have to. Mm. And Breen's justification always was, if I let this through for you to do a serious, sincere treatment of an issue somebody's going to come along and want to do it in a cheap and vulgar way, and I won't be able to stop them. So topics like um, prostitution and drug addiction were kept off the screen until the 50s. They were hinted at. I remember going around to my older relatives and saying, was there really such a thing as a B-girl? B-girls were what they used in the movies in place of prostitutes. So that these were women who were hired to work in bars and get men to buy drinks. And their drinks were always watered down, so they would never get drunk, but they would get the men drunk. And I don't know if they ever existed. Somebody's going to have to tell me. My family either was very virtuous, or they didn't want to admit they'd ever fallen prey to a B-girl, but they would never confirm that there had been such a thing. You know, I've never even heard of that. So that's all, you know, that's kind of interesting in itself that they called them B-girls. Well, and you, you see them in the movies like Gloria Graham and Crossfire, and you don't even or or um betty davison marked women woman and you never think that they're just there to get the men to buy drinks you're just nowadays we just look at the say yeah they're working women right right it's totally yeah. different yeah very uh, interesting very fascinating yeah very very well i could sit and talk to you a long time about uh about that book and others that you've written but let's get back to the game let's because I, I, I have a group of uh, friends who get together on Monday evenings, and we have game nights. So we did play this game, uh, and everybody, it, we all had a great time, and they were tough questions, but everyone was very surprised how much they actually knew. So that was nice. Uh, so they weren't so tough that uh, people couldn't answer them. And, it's, and it, it is a fun game, and if you love movies and you've loved um, Trivial Pursuit throughout your life, you'll love this game. It's a fun family game. Game, especially for all your friends who you know love movies, for sure. So let me see. I've got another question. Um, who directed both Sophia, Sophia Loren's Oscar-nominated performance in the nineteen sixties? Um, that's Vittorio De Sica. Yes, yes, 
and he actually directed her to her Oscar for two women. Right, right. And what was the other one? Um, in the sixties, that was Marriage Italian Style. Yes, yes, for which she was also nominated. Yeah, so she uh, she appeared here via Zoom, giving um, uh, the Montecito Award to Penelope Cruz and her son. Oh, cool. her, one of her, her son came and was there, you know, here physically, and then she, you know, zoomed in and uh, gave the award. That was quite uh, the moment here at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Well, Frank, yes. this is you are you are just a wealth of information. Uh, this is fun. The game is fun, and where can people purchase? Uh, I believe this is in bookstores, isn't it? Yes, it's in bookstores all over. Great. And of course, if you, could, if you can find a store associated with Turner, please buy it there. Yes, 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 and I'm but, sure it'll be available at the Turner Classic Film Festival. I'm sure it will be, Great. and I'm they're probably I'm sure they're selling it through the web page as well. Wonderful. And, don't know turner classic movies has a wonderful web page informative articles on most of the movies that they show um clips you can you can get to see some of the earlier on online introductions to the movies that the hosts have done and those are always very informative and entertaining um and sometimes film clips uh trailers all sorts of good stuff Great. And that's Turner Classic Movies or TCM.com, correct? Yeah, TCM.com. Yes. Great. Thank you, Frank. It was a joy having you on the show. Fun, a fun, welcome. fun, different show. And I love hearing all of your stories and uh, your wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's fun. If you've missed any of the Jam Price shows all about movies, you can find, tune in uh, to thejampriceshow.com where all the shows are archived and we have a brand new website. So please go over to our new website and check it out. Also, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Google, you name it, Apple, we are there. And also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Jam Price Show. One of our uh, listeners to the show, one of our fans uh, of the show, Alex uh, Matthews, is a songwriter, and he wrote a song about the show and me. So we're going to end the show a little differently today, and we're going to play uh, his song entitled You'd Be the Star. And if you'd like to hear the full version, again, go to thejampriceshow.com, and the full version is on the website. Thank you all for listening.